This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of Recovery, a podcast for folks who have left ministry, folks who are thinking about leaving ministry, folks who are just curious. I mean, it's just really anyone's welcome to this little community here. I am Sarah Heath, the former pastor who still is a pastor in some ways, but former local church pastor. And this is Justin Gentry. I was also a former pastor. Occasionally get requested to be a pastor again, but um, <laughs> uh, we're only wedding, saying this weddings. because I just did a wedding today. So, and I still do weddings and funerals and pastoral things, but. I, I do as well. We were swapping wedding stories, all positive because every wedding is wonderful. Every uh, wedding is wonderful. And... So we're going to talk about how right now what we're doing is the difficult part of once you've left ministry. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to talk today about just managing expectations of people and managing the relationship with people after you've left. So these people were congregants of yours. And mm -hmm. now they're just like involved in the church at any, any level. And we want to thank our Patreon community for asking us to talk about this. And if you want to be part of that, again, this is, or it's really the discord channel that came up with this, but if you join our Patreon, then you can join our discord and that's really easy to do. Just www.patreon.com slash rev recovery. Uh, and thank you so much guys for coming up with this idea. Cause it sounds like it's something that really uh, is pressing for all of us is this idea of how do I deal with people once I am no longer the lead of a community? How do I deal with the relationships that I have to manage when I encounter people who were once part of my community? Uh, because it's multi-layered, be, you know, some people you're probably glad to say goodbye to. I'm no longer paid to be your pastor slash friend. Uh, those are the easiest ones to let go, I think. But then there are people that were genuinely your friends. And now you have to renegotiate re your friendship. Yeah. And they might not be aware mm -hmm. that you have to do this. And there are also people that maybe you like, but, you know, because of their association with the church, it be, it's, it's awkward now. And yeah, how do you, how do you manage those? So it's, it's a question where we both struggle with as well. So this isn't, I don't know that this podcast is, Justin and Sarah, the experts sharing <laughs> their vast knowledge with you, yeah. the listener. It's more us just figuring out what has helped us over time and hopefully you finding some value in that. Yeah. And if you have great thoughts around the things that we say, we also would love to hear that as well. Yeah. I think as I was thinking through this, the reality is many times I am in space because of the town I live in. I'm in spaces with people who used to be my parishioners. And I think sometimes that's hard for me to decide how I'm going to engage in it because I am still clergy, technically. Um, I'm not a local church pastor, but I still have the title of clergy. I don't always know how not to be a clergy person in a conversation. And it's not faking it. It's just what I call, and I, I think you and I both have used this term before, being on, in feeling like you uh, need to be 
on. And yeah, even your, I think even your relationship with being on changes. Because I, I think, you know, yeah, you step into that role. And when you are a minister, you're like, yeah, I'm a rock star right now. Like, I'm doing yeah. it. I'm doing the thing. Like, this is what I'm paid to do. And then, but then once you leave and then people are like, ooh, like, I want, I want the on Justin again or the on Sarah again. Like, well, that, that's not, that's not my gig anymore. And yeah, managing that expectation. One way I dealt with it, and this was just by, this was just fortunate, I suppose, was I moved, I moved away. <laughs> if you're leaving your position, no, I'm just kidding. Well, but I, th- I, th- I think that some, some, you have that, some people have that luxury or just the way certain denominations are structured where right. you kind of just get plopped in and you've only and been there for, out. and then you're plopped out. Leaving is relatively easy. I mean, they're, they're friends, dear friends that I, I miss, certainly. And, and students that I miss as well that, you know, are now adults with their own lives and families. And, you know, I still maintain a certain amount of contact with them. But for me, it was also nice to have that distance and that fresh start. And that was, that was helpful and just even shifting my mind. I'm not suggesting or saying that is going to work for everyone. You know, that's first moving is a privilege you know, the, having the ability to move across state lines or far away is, is definitely a privilege. Um, but, and I had a job waiting for me, which was also, uh, it's a heavy incentive to move when there's a job waiting for you in another town. But I do think that that was, that was helpful for me to like, all right, let's just cut this off. That can be painful though. And disappointing for some people too. Yeah. I think that the thing that I have been thinking about is, and something that I think I've been challenged in the last couple of days to think about is this idea of being like actually making a statement to people, Hey, I am no longer your pastor. And I know this is awkward to say this, but as we're sitting here drinking margaritas, I want to be honest with you that I still feel compelled to perform sometimes. And it wasn't that I ever meant to perform before. It's just that I really took my job seriously. And I, in every part of my life, tried to be that person. And it was not a performance necessarily, but it was just like, when you're at your job, you're probably, there's a different person that shows up, a professional version of you. And I think that the hard part for me is figuring out how to take her off. And so I'm telling you this because you might experience me in a way that you have never experienced me before. And I don't want you to be confused or feel like you can't be like, hey, this isn't what I'm used to. Because I think the best thing is to be honest about how awkward it is for everyone. You know, I've had a lot of people say things to me that are really hard for me to hear, like wanting me to hear about what's going on in my former church, which I'm still sort of involved with, right? And um, I often have to say, hey, like, part of this for me is like, I want to just let it flourish. And part of that is I need to not be part of the conversations about what's happening. That's happened to me quite a bit where, you know, someone will report what's happening. And it, it's actually an interesting thing. And I would be interested to survey this because I've, I've left churches, uh, you know, a few different churches. I, you know, sometimes just even for good reasons, you know, you get promoted or you change jobs or whatever. But it's always interesting when you're near the end, that's when you hear all the juice 
all of it comes out. I, I think it's like you're a safe person now because you're leaving. And I think you also become a safe person when you're gone because you're still a pastor. But I need you to know, you know, I, you're you're a safe person to vent to. And, and you're I still a pastor that, in their head. In you're their not head, still yes. a pastor, right? There are also maybe a half dozen people that I will still hold space for in that capacity just because I I know them and trust them. They're, you know, they're like actual, actual friends. Sorry if I pushed you away, you weren't an actual friend. Uh, you're probably not listening to this podcast, but there are some people that I have nipped that in the bud. I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm not at that church anymore. I have nothing to, I have nothing to offer you in that capacity. And, and that's, and again, everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to have to weigh that relationship differently because, you know, there are some people that do seamlessly transition into just your friends now. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was one of the, in our discord, one of the folks who is incredible. And one of our listeners was saying like, I keep my wife and I keep thinking we're being asked out for a double date. Then we get out to a meal with someone and they're like, Hey, we're thinking about this church. What do you know about it? Oh yeah. Like you're, or Hey, (laughs) this is happening at at this church. What do you think about it? And he was sort of saying like, I just want to be a normal person that just goes out to double dates. Like I didn't want this to turn into you know, me sharing the the gossip and truth be told, like, yeah, I do know a lot of the crappy things about these different communities, but I don't want to be about tearing it down anymore. And I think it's fair to kind of say, hey, like, I'm not really in that world, but here's a couple of questions for you to ask about it. I know if I were thinking about a church, I would think about these things and then leave it. And even maybe coming up with that list, like for me, I'm like, oh, are there like women in leadership? And I, it was so funny because that day I had several people text me out of the blue about different church concerns that they had. And it's very honoring and incredible that people hold that space for you. But at the same time, they don't realize like, I'm not trying to be about that. <laughs> yeah, well, you're their retired plumber friend. And you're they're asking you about a clog, which uh, is and, great. And that's and I think that's how people that are outside see it. But it's also when again this was our life this was and and if you're listening to this podcast probably it's a fair number of you you had a very painful exit in some ways mm-hmm. and so when someone like you, you gotta bring all that out and and you don't want to do that and I, I think the best thing that I did was I did have and wasn't an official list that's weird I mean I shouldn't say that's weird if you like that idea go go with it i did not make an official list of people that were like these are the people i want to keep in my life these are the people i don't or these are the people i want to keep in my life these are the people that are fishing for dirt and and get clear with yourself as to you know these are the people i want to continue to invest in as just a human that has friends and these are people that i need to fall by the wayside either for my health or their health and, and that's a different capacity you have to think about because when you're the pastor, you're supposed to be taking care of the, the whole flock, you know, but now it's like my mindset has to change. And I'll admit, I had a therapist say to me that I needed to make a list of real friends, which it sounds like I had imaginary friends. I did not, but I needed to make a list of people that I had a mutual friendship with and whether that's an actual list or a list in my head, because she said, I think you're treating these people like their mutual relationships and they're not. And you're feeling guilty about not spending time with all of these people. And the truth is, is like they don't, people don't have to spend time constantly with other people when they don't want to. You do a lot of things out of obligation. And 
it was really helpful for me to start thinking about that. Like, who are the people that like invest in me as well? And how can I invest in them more? And so actually writing a list, make fun of it, if you will, of people that you want to invest in more and like relying on that and staying in that. But having an actual define the relationship conversation is key. Like, there are going to be things that disappoint you about me. And I need to know that that's okay, because that's what a real friendship is. I am not always good God, girl, Sarah, all the time. In fact, very little of the time. But I also know that I enjoyed keeping people that far away. So I just ran a half marathon with friends of mine that used to be members of my church. And I oftentimes, in the beginning of us becoming really good friends, I would have that like, oh, I used to be their pastor. I wonder if this is weird. You know, and it felt like it was important for me to let them behind that curtain and just let them know the girl who's upset because her boyfriend broke up with her or the girl who like, you know, the normal parts of me, not just the polished parts that are so easy for me as a pastor in Enneagram 3 to do. Like I'm much more comfortable when people are at a distance. I don't like when people are, I like it, I want it, I desire it, but it's so hard. And we have to admit that a lot of us that got into this profession like these para relationships. It's hard for us to be in real relationship. And yet it's important for us to be in these like, you know, mutual friendships. And so we have to almost, you know, create a list, whether it's in your head or not, of people that you can allow into this space in some ways. Yeah. I I also think if you are kind of moving on from that, I don't know if you want to tie a bow on that or not, but I think faith becomes an issue as well in the right, sense of yeah. beliefs. Because, you know, a lot of pastors that are leaving, some some pastors that leave, they retain their faith as it was. They just, you know, they're doing it for health reasons or whatever. Um, other pastors, you know, like, you know, myself and, and Sarah as well, like it, the leaving also accompanies a faith shift of some kind. And it can just be just different or it can be like all the way to I don't believe anything in any of this anymore. I think that is also another layer that you have to navigate because I've had I've had many angry DMs and sometimes public messages saying, you know, that I'm a liar, I'm a heretic, I'm whatever, which heretic just laugh. I laugh at that. I'm like, no, I'm an apostate. Back off. But you, that's also because people have in their head that you are pastor, whatever. And they also have memories of the the good, very good spiritual wisdom or whatever or moments that you had with them. And there is a desire to want to keep that. And, and that's not a bad thing. And I will also say, like, even though I believe differently now, I don't think any of those moments were fake. You know, those were genuine moments in people's lives that I got to be a part of that I am incredibly grateful for. But now, because I believe differently, I become a threat to those moments and those formative experiences. And I feel a certain amount of pastoral responsibility to not stomp on that you know i you know obviously i have a podcast where i talk about this stuff to anyone on the internet that listens but i'm pretty intentional about not putting promoting this podcast as much on you know facebook or in spaces that those people are I don't, and then maybe that's just imaginary in my head but i'm like i don't want to just like trample all over your moments at the same time though i'm not hiding either i think that's that everyone's going to have to make that call for themselves that's just that's just what i have done is i have put up walls to also to protect my personal life because i can only handle so many angry dms before i'm just ugh. 
but I think also to protect those moments for people because they were real for them. And, you know, they're probably going to deconstruct at some point, maybe. But uh, until then, I'm not going to just like, ha, ah, none of that was real. Because that's, that's, that's not actually true even for me. And that's, I don't think that's cool either. I think it's hard too, because I think this idea that the mutuality piece is trying to figure that out for yourself. Like, what does that really look like? So if I feel like I need to present a certain sort of spirituality or a certain level of righteousness or whatever it might be, and, and that then shifts or I'm trying to, you know, whatever it might be, I think there's this, I, I just want to give people space to question what mutuality actually is. And if you're capable of being vulnerable with those people, then they are, yes, they are real friends. There's also the hard part of like some systems require you like, so Methodism that used to be when you transitioned out of a church, you weren't supposed to talk to people from your former church. Tell me how terrible that is. You basically were telling everyone they weren't your friend. And that's not true. And nobody could live up to that. And that's just absolutely harming for you. So you were supposed to make all these friends in your community and then never talk to them again. That makes no sense and is actually damaging for people. I had to, when I left a Methodist church, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement and a couple of basically like none of these people were your friends. And yeah, that's the only one I've had to do that for. It's ridiculous because that makes the friend, the space and time you spent with people. It's so harmful. Like, I just think Justin, you're making a really good point that when like those moments that we had really, really mattered to me. And like, for me, I, I still, you know, I'm the one who still has whatever my faith shift looks like, I still think like I meant that stuff when I said it. And I, those relationships meant a lot to me. And I think you feel the same way. I don't know. I think this is such a great thing to bring up because I think not only is it in within pastoral stuff, I think making actual friends is really hard. And we don't talk about that a lot in adult situations where it's like, yeah, it's really hard as an adult to make friends, <laughs> no matter what. And so add on to that when your friendship is contingent on belonging to the same community. And now what you bring to that community is why we're like, whatever it might be, it's so layered that even giving ourselves a break and like questioning ourselves about like, what are these relationships bringing to me? Because I think sometimes it's really healthy for us to have rope robust friendships outside of our ministry experience and it might just be time for you to find friends that don't know that pastoral side of you yeah I, that would be if people take nothing out of this it's that whether you're a pastor or not you know even if you still are a pastor make friends that aren't pastors oh yeah and, or you're not their pastor or they're not their pastor for sure like because honestly i would say I'm going to just name friends. I would say the people that I've retained in my life were those people typically. I mean, there were some people that I was their pastor and we've made that shift, but yeah, it's just, it, those were the people that, that stuck with me because they knew me as just me, not pastor Justin, which I hated that anyway. Gosh. Um, saying that I'm like, Ugh. it's so funny because I, all of this is also like Justin and I are uh, recording, you know, on a different night and, well, it's the same night, but a different time and all this sort of stuff. Because I just did a wedding and I was so happy to do this wedding because I was the pastor at a summer camp where this bride was a camper. And, uh, but I like ran this half marathon yesterday and then 
flew into town to make sure that I would have time to do this wedding. Everything got moved around because of pandemic and also the race got moved. It doesn't matter. Point is, they didn't have me at the reception, which was totally fine. But I actually was driving home and I had this strange feeling come over me, which was sort of like this thing of like, oh, I'm not going to have to be on. I'm not going to have to be on at a reception because truth is the only reason I was probably at this wedding is because they needed an officiant and I was someone that they, you know, she had valued uh, as a spiritual leader in the past. And so it was this very interesting moment where I was like, how many weddings have I gone to the reception out of obligation and felt like I was experiencing, but truthfully I was on the whole time and I was dead exhausted. And then the next morning had to get up and do a, uh, do church, you know? And I think that's, but everyone else is like, but I was at the wedding too. And so it's so hard to describe, but you didn't have to be in performance mode. Also, no one commented on whether or not you drank or, right. you know, like there's all these other little things like, and yeah, if I, if I drank at a wedding, it was either you're a cool pastor, which, okay, that makes me cool. Or like, oh, the pastor is drinking. You know, it's always it's, right. it's at the same wedding, you get getting all those things. And no one commented or noticed that you were sitting down and not helping with this or that and the other. Like, so yeah, people, eyes are on you. So right. you, you need to be on. I, I found that even at family weddings, you know, like at any moment, someone could be like, hey, Justin, pray. Like, oh, gosh, I was I was just talking about something not prayerful. <laughs> now I've got to like, you know, put on my robes, mentally speaking, in order to perform the role all of a sudden. And, and, so and you, then sometimes that's like off. a sacred, honorary, like amazing thing, like just in a bunch of funerals. And to me, it's like wonderful. But I don't think that people around you are understanding that you're feeling like you're on the clock because it doesn't make sense to them. Because if they're a lawyer or doctor or a plumber, or whatever they might be, yes, it makes sense that people would still ask them questions. But the expectation around personal identity isn't the same. I think so. And I, and I think it is, it's a fraught thing because I think every situation is different. So I'm hesitant to give these like sweeping this is what you do. Uh, it's more like, this is what has worked for me. I think it's radical honesty is the thing I want to. Yeah. I think it's just showing up and I feel okay saying that sweepingly showing up as yourself because you haven't, whether you've known it or not. And then saying, Hey, like when it feels weird, say it feels weird. Cause I wondered too, is like how many people say, yeah, come hang out. Cause they think of me as the past and they feel like they should want me at a, a thing, you know, I want to make sure that that's not the reason they're inviting me because they feel obligated to like, if our relationships and friendships have always been based on obligation, and things change, like, I want to make sure we're like, clear about things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, life's too short to not go to parties where you're wanted, or to go to parties because they like you're there, because they know you won't say no. You know, I mean, I, I had people more or less straight up tell me, you can't say no. Like we, we invite you or we, Oh, I was lonely and wanted you to hang out with me. Cause you're not, you don't say no. Like, well, that's, yeah, like that's, yeah. you know, like that's one way to frame a friendship. Well, and I have to be careful too. And this is something for us to do the work in our own lives. And with good therapists is like, you know, I was even saying today that I, I, I just, after this wedding, which was great, 
and not going to the reception, great. So I had this extra time. And so I wanted to just go watch hockey at a sports bar, have a salad, have a spike seltzer, just congratulate myself for a good run. And so I went to this place and there were a couple of folks who wanted to talk to me. And I, I realized in it, I felt the obligation to talk to them because of my role as a pastor instead of like they were like, I still feel that I have to respond to them. And as a woman who is alone at a, like at a pub area, I was being really kind to these folks and even it was fine. They were really nice. But I also am like, you're not a pastor in this community anymore. If you don't want to talk and you just want to eat your salad and have your seltzer alone, like there, you shouldn't feel like you need to entertain these fellas. You know, not entertain them, but like, it's like you're learning how to draw healthy boundaries. <laughs> and it sounds, it's almost hard to do a podcast on it because it's like, to anyone else who hasn't gone through this, it's like, yeah, welcome to like being an adult. And I get it. I totally get it. Welcome to be a woman, you know, outside of it. But so often I've had to walk these awkward lines because I didn't want to offend or feel like I was being rude or like I'm a pastor. So I should engage people in conversation, you know, because we spent most of our professional lives like and this is going to be a crass way to say it, but I feel like it's it's accurate. We spent most of our professional lives as a rent a friend for a lot of people and and for ourselves too and for ourselves too and again i i say that and i don't want to minimize the relationship in the sense that it, there wasn't anything real there but when you get out you start to the it's almost like the matrix not the matrix that's a terrible metaphor but you'd start to see the lines and you start to see the strings and you start to see the edges in ways that you couldn't have seen them before because you were in the professional role but then when you step out, it's like, oh, oh, wow, we weren't friends, were we? Like, or, oh, wow, you really were only with me because you thought we believed the same things. And now that you realize I don't, like, okay, I guess we're out. I guess we, I guess we weren't. I guess all those moments didn't matter to you or the assumptions about me were what made them okay. And so that's just not a basis of a friendship to me that, okay, if you stay the same all the time, and you stay the same all the time, and we yeah, then we're all fine. And that's that's a problem with church culture anyway. Like, and then we could talk about that all day long, where it's like whether you're a pastor or not, someone all of a sudden believes differently, and they're like, oh, they're dangerous. And, and, and yeah, then they they most and that goes anywhere. Like friends. I think, yeah, even like you know this idea that folks who are like massively in this deconstruction space, I can't be friends with people who are still in a church. It's like. Mm, that's a problem too. That feels very fundamental mm -hmm. to me as well. Yeah. I think, I think it's just this thing that I'll say again and again is just being radically honest with yourself and those around you about what you actually want in a friend, what friendship really looks like for you, because you have had para friendships. When I think like I've had so many friendships that were deep and meaningful. I mean, that's one of the best things about my career. I think about but I also know that not all of them are mutual. And so I have to start thinking about the time that I invest with people, really spending time with maybe fewer people, but at a different level. And I think that's the hard part when, like you said, rent a friend, like how do I decide it? And I don't know that writing a list isn't kind of the answer, whether it's mental or not. And paying attention to like, who's asking me. So this is maybe a, an interesting 
example, but I have a, a dear friend who has an ex-boyfriend who she cares so much about. And every now and then he pops back into her life when he's going through a lot. But I always ask her this question, and I think this is the question we should ask ourselves in any friendship. I'll say, did he ask you about how you're doing? And she'll say, no, he just told me about what was going on in his life. And I'll say, I don't think you should miss someone who doesn't ask you about how you're doing. I mean it. And I think that's the same thing when we're trying to deal with who do we let in our life? Who do we allow to take up space? We ask the question, do they ask me about how I'm doing? And do they mean it? And then when they ask me, the thing you ask yourself is, and am I honest in my answer? Because <laughs> the number of times I've been like, I'm doing so great. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, my whole life is falling apart. I, I think that's it. I think that is maybe basic and it might be a weird answer for some folks, but it's the litmus test that it's the only one I know how to live by right now. Yeah. And if you if you are a pastor, you've gotten those messages many times. Do you ask me about me? And do you mean it? And then do I respond honestly? And that is the thing that I'm looking at. It doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's bad that you've had these para relationships, these pseudo friendships. It's actually lovely and beautiful. But it doesn't mean you should continue them beyond just a kind hello and uh the other thing I want to say that I think is really important is you don't have to answer every text message anymore. That's something that's been really difficult for me. Set people free of that. Keep yeah, going. You yeah, you can take a while. You can think through it. Everything is not an emergency, emergency, especially if you've just left ministry, guys. Your central nervous system literally is all hands on deck. And so you feel like if you don't answer a text message or if you don't do a thing, but all you're doing is training people how to treat you. And you're training people to treat you like their emergency response system. And I think, like, I have learned that I was allowing myself to be too important in a lot of spaces when it wasn't my place to hold. And so I have learned in the last almost year now, I guess it's not even quite a year. Feels <laughs> um, like I'm sure. Right. In the last 10 months, nine months, how do you kind of not feel like, this overwhelming guilt for not answering right away and for not saying yes to every in invitation. And here's a fun thing to play with guys and don't give a reason Just say, Oh, I'm not available. That's the hardest thing for me. I'll give you it. I'll get, you don't want to know, but I will tell you what I'm doing because my God, I feel guilty that I said no. You know, I would say most of my text message responses of no, the, the, the trend is like, I'll say no explanation, explanation, explanation. And they're like, oh, they don't need to hear this and I'll delete it. Yes, it's <laughs> like, good. Yeah, it, it, and I think that's that's just good friendship anyway. I think we, and maybe the, actually I should, I should back that up. I, possibly that's just church culture in the sense that you do feel, ob there, there are so many, I think church relationships can be very front-loaded in the amount of information you're expected to share with somebody. Or, you know, the level of intimacy you're supposed to be at with somebody mm. like, oh, like I showed up at this church. Like, yeah, tell me your life story. Tell me, tell me how you met Jesus. Like all these like, you know, things that you're just like supposed to be able to like disclose at a heartbeat. And sometimes I think that can bleed into just your regular life now where 
yeah, someone says, oh, I can't make it. Well, I'm sorry. I'll be praying then. Like, you know, just like you'll, you'll give like this weird excuse or something. And it's like, no, like I, I just I can't make it. Sorry. My schedule doesn't allow me to do that. I also think the discovery for me has been that I'm an introvert and that has been very shocking. And I want to invite you guys to if you are someone who has worked in church work or currently working in church work, don't assume you're an extrovert. I absolutely I'm a three. So I assume that I'm a three on the Enneagram. I assume that I'm an extrovert because I love being around people. But you know what I love being more more than being around people? Having time alone. I, and I'm, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So if you know the Enneagram, like we're like supposed to be extroverts. And and that's the Enneagram is not an indicator of extroversion or introversion. I just kind of put that out in the universe. And yeah, I'm 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 pretty ambiverted generally, but it's like, oh, I actually like being alone. Like I, and I enjoy not being the life of the party and I don't, I enjoy not being expected to be the life of the party. Oh, I enjoy being the life of the party, but I need a lot of alone time. Yeah. I, I need, it needs to be the party that I want to be the life of, I guess is really what it comes <laughs> up, you know, like, and sometimes I just show up to a party like, okay, I'm just here and I'm just going to, I'm going to just going to chill because I'm tired or whatever, but like, I don't have to be the life of the party. I can just choose to be great. Wonderful. Well, and that's the other thing too. If you're if you're leaving a space that you once were required to be what I like to call the social director, give yourself, allow yourself friendships where you're not deciding where you're going, what you're doing. Like for me, I am so lucky lately that my friends have been allowing me to say, I don't know, I can't plan anything anymore. I love it. <laughs> just for a while, guys. My brain, my brain is just overwhelmed and it makes me feel like, it just, I feel so cared about when you guys figure out what we're doing because for so often, you know, and I still do it. I mean, I love hosting people. So as much as I'm an ext introverted extrovert or extroverted introvert, I don't know which one I am. I guess ambivert works. Like I love to have parties at my house, but I also love to have time alone. And I think we have to like renegotiate the relationship with other people, but we also have to renegotiate the relationship with ourselves. And I want to just give permission and invitation for you guys to be radically honest with yourself and with others about, and be honest about this is where I'm at right now. And I might have more of a bandwidth later, but that's where I'm at right now. There was one a difficult conversation I had with this former parishioner who is wonderful, but younger than me. And I found myself when I was in conversation with them, mentoring, whether they asked for it or not, and they were like, hey, I really miss you. Can we just like, like have a Zoom? And like, and I, I felt myself compelled to say, yes, of course. And this was my time when I was in Oregon. I was in the trailer. And I finally said to her, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I am, I just, right now, for folks who just knew me through the church, I need my space. And her response was so lovely. Well, if you ever don't need your space, I would love to like catch up again. I felt like a, a real asshole for a while, guys. I really did. But I also realized like I don't have the capacity to be 120 people's mentor. And particularly because I'm coaching people and that's like the work that I do, I don't have the capacity to do that in free spaces as much as I did. Because to me, it is a labor. It, it is work. It is hard to, you know, because I'm so intentional about it and it isn't mutual. And that is just sort of, like I said, going to be the measure of everything. And I'm grateful for the people who have let me have those really hard conversations. And I want to invite you to do the same things, friends, like have the awkward moment now, like before you go out to dinner with that couple next time, say, hey, like, 
so excited to hang out with you. I just want to let you know that I, I'm not in the church business anymore, and I'm not sure I want to talk too much about it. So I'd love for us to talk, not talk shop. Let's talk about other things. I'd love to know about what's going on in your life. That's not an unreasonable request. Generally, just asking, even in a moment, can we not talk shop tonight? That's very reasonable. And I think that's the indicator of a true friend. If the response that you got, Sarah, with that conversation, like what a lovely gift that was too, for them to just like, oh, I understand. I'd love to hang out with you in that capacity again, but I, we can't right now. And that's cool. I think, I think that's a real litmus test when you start putting up just normal boundaries. And I think, I feel like one of the themes of this episode is, hi, pastors, this is what a normal boundary is. Like, like this is like a regular old boundary is... I don't want to talk about X subject while we're out together. And if someone can't honor that, or if someone pushes against that, or if someone disrespects that, they're not your friend, at least in that moment. And maybe they will be again someday, but in that moment, they aren't. Or maybe they're having difficulty seeing you as something different. And that's, that is not your issue to rehab for them. That is not your problem. And we're so used to making everyone's mental issues and their emotional issues and spiritual issues are a problem because that's what we're paid to do. And you don't have to do that anymore. And yeah. Nope. So if you need a permission slip, if we need like a rev recovery permission slip to be like, you don't have to care about everyone. Like we will make that for you. <laughs> like pass it out. I mean, you, you can yes. care and not care. <laughs> you, you can care and not give care to. And I think, you know, there are two things I would say. The first is I would say like just in closing for me anyway, is that it's really important for you to have like activity, hang out with people that you like to do things with that is separate from beliefs and thoughts and that, whether that's like you want to join a soccer team, a run club, whatever it is, have affinity-based friendships. The second is pay attention to how your friends have friends. And that may sound ridiculous, but remember you have been paid to maintain relationships. So it didn't come naturally. Yeah. And that's totally, that is, I would say some of my best friends, honestly, are now people that I've, I've been in, you know, affinity groups or just, you know, just doing random stuff with, you know, that's like, how do you have friends? And I think you have to start somewhere and starting at that most basic, like, Hey, we work out in the same gym. We like the same TV show. We like the same sports. It might not even be, but I think it's just to get yourself and it, it might seem weird, but I, I've watched how my friends maintain friendships. And I'm like, oh, oh, you don't feel like you have to respond to all of their things. Because the truth is, is sometimes people were meet, meeting our emotional need to be a savior complex person, right? And so sometimes people treat us the way we train them how to treat us. And so watching, like I would say, I've got a friend who I like, I love how her relationships are. They're so healthy and her boundaries are so great. And I just watch her do friendships. And I sometimes I'll have to channel her and say, what would she say in this moment? Because my instinct isn't actually the right instinct. And as I'm getting to know myself, it might actually become my instinct. But I, I think that those are two really helpful things. Find friends outside of the normal friends groups that you had before. And also watch other people who seem to have healthy friendships and dynamics. I have nothing to add to that. That's really good. Friends, thank you so much for joining us for basically this Discord and Patreon suggested episode. We would love to hear what you want to hear. Thank you all to all of you who DM us. And thank you so much for responding to both Justin and I when we say, 
thank you for listening. What would you like to hear? Because we, again, this show is ever evolving. We are trying to just make space for people who are going through whatever it might be. And also, you know, find the right kind of experts to connect people to. I will say that we have a hearty conversation in the Discord channel, and I would love for you to join it because it is such a great place. So join us in the recovery room if that's something you have space for. So thanks, everybody. Hope you have a wonderful week and uh, stay tuned for the poem and other goodies. All right. Thanks. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Recovery. Sarah and I are so grateful for how this community is shaping up and the response that it has had, and we are very excited to see where it is going. If you are interested in participating in the conversation more personally and on a deeper level, I, we would love for you to head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash revcovery, R-E-V-C-O-V-E-R-Y. For a very small fee, you can be part of our Discord community. And one of the reasons we do charge for that, one is you know for our time, but also to increase the production and anonymity because I realized that sometimes struggling with your faith as a pastor is not something you want to blast on Facebook or something. So to have that privacy, we want to make sure that you're protected and we're able to do that. So that's one of the reasons why we have it set up that way, in case you were wondering. As we do on the podcast, I'm going to share a poem at the end here. And again, you might be a person that's like, ugh, poetry, skip ahead, I'm done with this podcast. But I would just invite you to maybe have a different approach and to maybe sit with some of these poems a little bit because I think that poetry and words can kind of start shaking things loose for us. Uh, And I think that it's important sometimes for us to sit and to listen. And so uh, today's poem is going to be by Mary Oliver, the patron saint of Revcovery, I think, between her and John O'Donohue. I think they're kind of hitting all the greatest hits for us. This week, I want to read one of her poems called What is the Greatest Gift? And and as we think about friendship and the way relationships change and how we seek mutuality in relationships, I think this is a good one to sit with for a little bit. So What is the Greatest Gift by Mary Oliver? What is the greatest gift? Could it be the world itself, the oceans, the meadowlark, the patience of the trees and the wind? Could it be love? with its sweet clamor of passion. Something else, something else entirely holds me in thrall, that you have a life that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own, that you have a life courteous, intelligent, that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own, that you have a soul, your own, no one else's, that I wonder about more than I wonder about my own. So that I find my soul clapping its hands for yours more than my own. May we all be blessed with this greatest gift. Thanks, friends. Have a great week.